Man, amen, amen. Um, golly, we are blessed with this band. We are blessed to be ushered into the throne room of God uh, by them every single week. Um, and for those of you that do not know me, um, I'm Blake Patton. I am a graduate assistant for student activities, and I am excited. Yeah, woo. If you get free stuff, it's probably from me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hey, Thursday, 1.30 to 2.30, pretzel day. Be there. I promise. They're going to be soft. I promise. Now, if, if you know, you know. If you know, you know. Uh, some of y'all cracked your teeth. Now, I'm sorry to the people doing the camera work. I walk around. So, yikes. Um, but today, I'm really excited to bring a word that has meant so much to me, something that the Lord has put on my heart. And my hope is that as we leave, we will look more like Christ than when we showed up. Because what are we here for if we don't look more like Christ? If our life doesn't reflect Christ more. So please tune in with me. We're going to start by asking just two questions. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? How do you want to be remembered? Uh, if you've ever seen the Biltmore or been there, uh, it's one of the most beautiful, opulent houses you can imagine. And in 1810, Cornelius Vanderbilt, who the Biltmore House was made from, like he built it with his money, borrowed $100 from his mom. And he started a shipping company in New York. And by the time of his death in 1877, Cornelius had amassed nearly $100 million. That, bro, I don't think y'all understand. $100 million at that time is roughly $200 billion. He went from $100 to $200 billion. And if that doesn't help you understand it or frame it, literally half of the U.S. national treasury was accounted for in his $100 million at the time. So literally he had half of the wealth of the United States of America. And then he died, 1877. You know, people die. It happens. If you just found that out, sorry. But it does. But here's the thing. He gave all the money to his son, William. And within 50 years of his death in 1877, all of that money was gone. All nine of their houses on Fifth Avenue in downtown New York City were gone. It was all wasted. And Cornelius, uh, like I said, gave his money to his son. And his son said this about all the wealth he had. Inherited wealth is a real handicap to happiness. It has left me with nothing to hope for, with nothing definite to seek or to strive for. He had everything. Literally, he was given the silver platter, but it meant nothing. It was all wasted. And Cornelius' legacy, which was rooted in his money and his company, was gone. And the sad thing is, all of the prominence and status that he had in the world left him with no hope. And today, we need to ask ourselves, what kind of legacy do we want to leave? How do we want to be remembered? And I believe Paul, in Philippians 3, 1 through 11, is going to tell us what we want our legacy to be, how we truly want to be remembered. So if you have your Bibles, flip with me to Philippians 3, 1 through 11. 
This is what Paul says when writing to this church and what he's saying to us. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you about this is no trouble for me, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, and if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and because or, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Once again, what will your legacy be? How will you be remembered? The first thing I want you all to gather from this, this passage, this first point that I have is trying to achieve righteousness through my actions is a personal attack on the sufficiency of the cross. Trying to achieve righteousness through my actions is a personal attack on the sufficiency of the cross. Now, when Paul is referring to these dogs, to these evil workers, those who mutilate the flesh, he is referring to Judaizers. Now, these guys were former Jews, and they said that in order to be saved, a person had to believe in the work of Jesus, but also do the works of the law especially circumcision. And these extra works were meant to help secure salvation. You know, Jesus, he said, repent and believe and be saved. But the Judaizers were twisting it and they were saying, repent, believe, and do all these extra things and then you'll be saved. How twisted is that? They added rules and regulations to what Jesus had said. And here's the thing. I don't think we understand the picture of what it means when Paul uses the language of watch out for the dogs. Historically, Jews called Gentiles dogs, and when they did this, they're referring to this scoundrel, this dog that's covered in fleas, hasn't had a bath in years, is literally living off of scraps. It's vile. It's unclean. It's a spiritual predator. It's this being that literally has no worth in the world. And Paul Turning this on, on their heads, he goes to the Judaizers and he says, no, you're the problem. You're the dog. You're the one who's living unclean. You're the one who's acting vile. You're the one that's throwing things out there that should not be. And he's literally telling them, check yourself, you spiritual predators. 
And Philippians, you better beware of these people. Beware. You know, as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help. Oh, oh, hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? Uh, (laughs) I couldn't help but think of Uno. Now, I love Uno. It's a great game. It's one of the first games you learn as a kid. And here's the thing. There are two types of Uno players. There's the right players and the wrong players. And you're about to know who you are. The right players are the ones that do not stack cards. Yeah, right? Yeah, we're not playing crazy Uno out here. We play the real rules. And, you know, there's those crazy people that are like, ha-ha, I got three draw two cards. Bam, you're done. Well, I'm playing with my friends. We're having this civil game, you know. We didn't clarify any rules. We didn't do that. But all of a sudden, I get to my final card. I call Uno. I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got it. We're going to win today. Yes, sir. Bragging rights. Well, I go. I'm sitting there. Next guy drops three draw two cards on me. And I got nothing left. What am I supposed to do with this? I'm upset. I'm sitting there like, no, that's not okay. I'm not picking up six cards. I'll pick up two. And we start getting in this screaming match about who's right. We are literally yelling at each other saying, no, you're drawing six. And I'm saying, no, I'm drawing two. And we're arguing back and forth. And this argument was centered around whether or not we were going to take my friend's rules that he had added to the game or follow the initial instructions of the game maker. Get that again. We were adding rules to the game that he wanted or we were going to follow the initial rules of the game maker. And we do that all the time. We can be just like the Judaizers. We can add stuff to the rules and regulations. And the way that we fight against this is by treasuring Christ as we know him personally. We treasure Christ as we know him personally. That's our first application point. We treasure him as we know him personally. But how do we treasure Christ? How do we savor him? Well, we see him as incomparably greater than anything else because it's not Christ in something or someone else. It's Christ alone that saves. We treasure him. We treasure him by spending time with him, growing in our love and devotion to him. If you're in a relationship or you've seen relationships, you know that they get your time, they get your money, they get your, um, your texts, your FaceTimes, your words, they get your evenings, your meals, they get all this devotion. And when people don't demonstrate that in a dating relationship, you know there's a problem. And the thing is, we do the same thing with God. We want love and devotion, but we don't actually show it. We don't actually live in a loving, devoted relationship to Christ. And he is our bridegroom. He is the one coming back to secure the church forever. And so we must devote to him. He needs to be your only treasure. So once again, will, you, will your legacy be tied to the person of Christ or will it be tied to yourself? You, will you be remembered for Christ or yourself. The second thing I want us to see in this passage is that righteousness is rooted in the risen Savior, not a religious resume. Righteousness is rooted in a risen Savior, not a religious resume. Look at what Paul says when he's talking about his religious resume. He says, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised of the eighth day of the 
nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. And literally, Paul is talking smack. And for those of you that play Call of Duty, you understand what it's like to be in the gamer chat. And all of a sudden, people are talking smack. They're like, yeah, bro, I got you. Yeah, look at my KD ratio, dog. You know, if you don't get that, maybe... Maybe you imagine Conor McGregor walking into the interview, walk, like he's doing his strut, man. Like he's like, yeah, man, I'm better than you. Yeah, I'm the big dog on campus. And Paul's doing that. He's literally looking at all of them and saying, if you think you're better than me, try me. Because you're going to come here, we're going to talk about it, and I'm going to still be better than you. And Paul had reason to boast in two aspects. One was this natural born gifting, and the other one was some things that he achieved in his life. Naturally, Paul had the right family. He couldn't control who was, what family he was born into. Hello. Back again so soon. He couldn't control what tribe he was born into. He couldn't control when he was circumcised. He couldn't control when all these things happened. on. Oh yeah, here we go. You know what? Little technical difficulties. We'll run with it. Yeah. Amen. Yes, we're back. Back to you, Sharon. All right. But seriously, he had all these things. He had all the, the rights. He had the family that made him better than other people. He couldn't control that, but he still had reason to boast in his family. And not only that, but Paul also re- achieved certain things that separated him from the pack. And when we think about Pharisees, we think of these like terrible guys that were just hypocrites and wrong and evil. But the reality is, is that most Jews would have looked up to the Pharisees and respected and honored them. They would have looked at them and said, that's the guy I want to be like. And Paul was blameless before his peers. He was blameless before people. He attended all of the, the religious calendar fillers. You know, at the time it was persecuting the church. And I'm not saying let's go stone, uh, find our Stephen and stone him. But at the time, that's what it meant to be a Pharisee, that's what it meant to be a true Jew, was to go and persecute those that were teaching this quote-unquote false way. If there was a guy that, he wanted, that people wanted to be like, it was him. But despite all of these resume builders, despite being the cream of the crop, Paul considered it all dung. Literally poop, excrement, the things you don't want to see. Literally the, at the baseball tournament, it's that porta potty that sat there on the hot summer day, and you're like, I am not going there. Yeah, I know, right? It's disgusting. It's literally wretched. It was all wasted. Now, some of these were good things, but they were wasted to him at the end of the day. Because he knew that all of it was filthy rags, that his life would not matter if it was rooted in himself and personal boasting. He knew if that was the case, he would hear the words, Depart from me, evildoer, for I do not know you. Because he would say, ah, Lord, look at all these things that I did. Look at all the things I did in your name. But Christ would say, depart from me, for I do not know you. But he knew that if his life was one that revolved around boasting in Christ, that the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, would be spoken over him. So we have to ask ourselves, is that how we want to be? And I'm not saying in this conversation that we just need to stop doing things, that we should resort to inactivity. No, Paul was doing good things at the time, or mostly good things. Showing up to the church potluck or to passion conference is good. It's nice to be there. It's beneficial. 
But if you put that above Christ, it's not. It's worthless. It's waste. And, you know, in my own family, I have tons of reason to boast. Literally, my grandfather was a pastor. My dad has served in just about every role in the church. They're missionaries now. My brother, sister, and I were all born in the church pretty much. If we could come out the womb in church clothes, I think my mom would have been okay with that. Literally. And so we grew up in this, this setting, in this lifestyle, and we were always influential. And it was awesome, and it was great, and it was beautiful. And it's continued on to the point where we've achieved a lot of things. My parents, like I said, are missionaries. My brother is getting a PhD in New Testament textual criticism. He's dummy smart. Yeah, I'm just personality. You know, we can live with that. But, haha, I gotcha. Um, it'll make sense if you don't understand. But here's the thing. I had all these reasons to boast. We have all these things. My sister is doing a, a master's of theology at Dallas Theological Seminary, and she wants to write Bible curriculum. Literally, if there's a family you want to be attached to and could put together with church work, it's probably my family. But at the end of the day, it's all wasted. It's that porta potty. It's a dirty diaper that we need to throw away. Because apart from Christ, they're just nice things. And so how do we live with this? What do we do? We drop all we have, all we do, and all we are at the foot of the cross. Because my identity is now in him, not what I do, even if those things are good. We drop all we have, all we do, and all we are at the foot of the cross. So I'm going to ask some questions, and I want you to sit here, and I want you to think, does this apply to me? Is this me that they're talking about? Do I boast in my physical abilities? Do I boast in my heritage? Do I boast in my intelligence, my athletic abilities, my musical ability? Do I boast in my family? Do I boast in the fact that I'm blameless before others? Do I boast in my theology? Do I boast in the fact that I've overcome pornography or some other sin and that I'm not tempted in certain ways that other people are? Am I boasting in the fact that people don't know how I sin or am I boasting in how depraved, how sinful I used to be? Oh, look at what I used to be able to do, but now I'm in Jesus. Do I boast in my titles as a soccer player, a track runner, a community director, an RA, a BCM leadership team member, a resident at a church, a worship leader, a pastor, a captain of a team, a football player, a grad assistant? Am I boasting in these things? So what are you boasting in? What's your dirty diaper? What are the things that you view as treasure but aren't treasure compared to Christ? Because where your heart is, there too is your treasure. So is your heart with Christ or is it with the things that you do or the titles you have? Where is your storehouse? What are you building up for yourself? Treasure here or treasure for eternity? Because the thing is, we can only do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that true believers worship by the Spirit. And we can only lay down all we do, all we have, and all we are at the foot of the cross when we live a spirit-empowered life. So lean in his strength and ability. Lean into his comfort, his joy, his peace. And know that ultimately he will help you lay those things down because in and of yourself you cannot do it. 
Christ has changed your identity. That's been the focus of this month. And once we were dirty, rotten sinners, but we have been changed and we've been given the title of a saint. Now, although we still sin, we need to remember that our identity is rooted in Christ and that's why we lay things down. We don't lay things down for the sake of doing it. We lay them down because our identity is now in Christ and not in those things. We put them at the foot of the cross knowing that they pale in comparison to the treasure that we have in Christ. And when we do this, we are declaring, or when we hold on to the things of this world, our titles, our abilities, our things, we are spitting in Christ's face and we are saying that his work was not sufficient, that we need these extra things to be saved. We become like the Judaizers. So lay it down. Do you want your religious resume or your risen Savior to be your legacy? Do you want to be remembered for your religious resume? Or do you want to be remembered for your risen Savior? The third thing I want you all to understand is a life that matters will imitate Christ in his life and his death. It will imitate in his life and in his death. Paul wanted to imitate Christ in both of these ways. And he knew the only way that his life would matter is if it was directly tied to the person of Christ. And he wanted to conform to the death of Christ by humbling himself, as it talks about in the first part of Philippians, humbling himself to the point of death, death on the cross. Christ tells us to pick up our cross and follow him. And so when we do that, what we are saying is we are dying to ourselves. We are dying to our wishes. We are dying to our desires. We are dying to our titles and ultimately rooting our life in Christ, knowing that there's something greater to come and that something is the resurrection and eternal relationship and community with our Father in heaven who loves us dearly. And often I think we only focus on imitating Christ's life, and we should. We should live the way that Christ lived. We should seek that, but we also need to die with him knowing that we too will be raised again. Why did Tom Brady leave the Patriots? Why did he leave his legacy? Why did he do that? Because he wanted to win championships because he knew that his title, his authority, his legacy was going to be rooted in not how many times he played for the Patriots, but how many championships he won. So he left everything. He said, bye, Bill. See ya. I'm gone, bro. And he went and won. And we're going to see if he can keep on doing it. I don't want him to, but we're going to see. But here's the thing. Think about LeBron James. Why did this man leave Cleveland the first time? to win championships. Why did he leave Miami and go back to Cleveland? To win championships. Why did he leave Cleveland again? To win championships. Because they both knew, Tom and LeBron, that there was something greater at stake than simply being a part of a team. There was a, a prize to win. There was something greater than just simply being a great athlete. And the thing is, if we want to be like them, we need to ask ourselves these questions. Is Christ worth giving up everything? Is he worth giving up your reputation, your status, your relationships, your health, your GameStop stocks? Are you willing to give up the money you've made on them because you were on Reddit? Are you willing to give up your church pew? Are you willing to give up the place that you sit in church? Are you willing to give up 
your position, your authority, your titles? Are you willing to give it all up because you know that Christ is greater than anything else? Are you aware of that? Are you ready to do that? Because we need to live with this reality that uh, Christ alone is sufficient. Christ alone is the way. We need to reorient our activity and relationships around our devotion to Christ. Because it's not a both and when it comes to Jesus. It's Christ and Christ alone. It's not a both and. And now, we need to reorient our, our activity because the things that we do for the sake of the Lord are not bad, but if we twist them and we start using them for our glory, we've got it wrong. So we need to untwist, we need to reorient that activity to reflect our Father in heaven, our Savior, the one who rose from the death and conquered sin and did what we could not. Because our joy and devotion to Christ should spur us on to genuine good works, which is what Paul continues to talk about in reaching the goal as he continues in Philippians 3. We need to lay everything down at the foot of the cross. We need to take those filthy rags and know that Christ will redeem them. That he will take your ashes and turn them to beauty. That he will take those things and bring them and turn them for his glory and his good, and your good. So what kind of legacy do you want to leave? How do you want to be remembered? I love that we sang Egypt, um, totally unplanned, but when you look at the life of Moses, he literally was given the silver platter growing up in Pharaoh's house. But he sacrificed everything. He gave up everything the world could offer because he knew there was something greater. He lived by faith. Because Moses refused to be identified as a child of Pharaoh's daughter, and he chose to suffer with God's people instead of embracing sin. He left Egypt despite the Pharaoh's anger. And the thing is, he did all of this because as the writer of Hebrews puts in chapter 11, he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. I'm going to read that one more time so you hear it. He considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. Do you know this same treasure? Is he the theme of your life? So for those of you that know Christ personally, what does your resume say? Is it going to say Christ plus Blake or Christ plus Huff or Christ plus Noah? Or is it going to say, yet not I, but Christ in me? Turn back to the loving arms of the Father, the one who has chosen you, the one who lives and breathes to have a relationship, the one who wants you, who sent his son to die in your place, the one with nails in his hand that conquered death. Return to his arms and lay those things down at his cross. And for those of you that don't know Christ personally, what, what does your resume say? Can you trust in your abilities? Can you trust in the good things that you do? Being not bad enough. Because here's the thing, I want y'all to get this truth. Jesus Christ, God himself, came to earth as a man. 
And he lived a perfect and sinless life, one that we could not live. And then he went to the cross and he died. He took the wrath of God, the punishment for our sins on the cross. And three days later, he rose victoriously from death and he said, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. He defeated death and he said, If you repent and believe in me, I will save you. He paid the price that no religious resume or good activity could fill. His righteousness is given to us. And when we put our trust and faith in him, our resume will read, Yet not I, but Christ in me. Surrender to him. Let him redeem your life. Follow him. He wants a relationship for you. He died for you. And he rose for you. So I'm going to pray, and then a number will post, show up on the screen, and I'm going to tell you all what to do next. Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are. And I pray ultimately that our resume, our life, our legacy will be rooted in you, the treasure of our souls. Father, I pray that what we need to lay down, we will lay down. And that cross that you call us to pick up, that we will pick it up. Lord, we love you. I pray that you will do a mighty work, that people will not hear me or remember me, but that they will see you in your glory. Amen. And so, real quick, number's going to show up on the screen. If y'all need to talk to somebody, if y'all need to discuss some things further, call, text this number, 864-800-6500. If you've decided to lay down your filthy rags at the foot of the cross, will you text the word imitate? Will you text the word imitate if you need to lay down your filthy rags and you want to talk about that? And if you've decided to follow Jesus for the first time, or you want to know what it means to have a relationship with Christ and what it looks like to lay these down, will you text the word resume to that number? Thank you, guys. Jody's going to uh, take us home. Yeah, thank you, Blake.